Great to see you, just so you know. Hope you guys had a good, good New Year. Somebody's phone ringing already? Oh, I don't want to have walk-up music, okay? You're going to have to stop that. It's funny sometimes the way that kids can resemble their parents. Even in Hollywood, you see sometimes people's kids look exactly like them, just dead ringers. I found a few of these uh, recently on the internet. This is, who anybody, oh, uh, I was going to ask you, who is it? Alan Thicke right there. Has a son, look at his son. Look at that, they are just a dead ringer for one another. Next one. Oh, whoa, look at the technology we got here. Oh, this, you just, I thought you were going to pull it off the internet. Well, I just don't know what else is on the page, so I can't be held accountable for what's on here. The next one. I don't know who that is, but who's their mom? There we go. Who's this dude? Damon Waynes, right? Take a look at his boy. Isn't that nuts? I think they look exactly alike. Next one. Oh, yeah. Show the middle. Come on. Can you, can you make it move? Or you just got the creepy two-face thing going on? Okay, just the creepy two-face thing. That's cool. That's cool. Hey, rest in peace, right? John Ritter, his son, dead ringer for him, right? And Harvey Two-Face. Tom Hanks. Who doesn't love Tom Hanks? Come on. His son, nuts. Colin Hanks, right? Cool beard, look alike. There you go. Is that the last one? No, we, whoa, that's scary. I don't want to see. I think I had a nightmare about that last night. There, there we go. That's Kiefer, I think, right? You know, this is true about me. This is just a fun fact. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I have not seen one episode of 24. I have not seen one episode of 24. Does that make me a good person? Thank you. We got some claps right there. Not one episode. Just a fun fact about Pastor Elliot. And then, uh, do we have one more? Take a look at this last slide. Look at these kids. Now, which one looks like which parent? Obviously, right? Trenton looks like Andrea with his nice skin and his cuteness. And Miles looks like me with that pale skin and his awesomeness. I mean, we just, we look alike. We got the resemblance right there. But you see that parents and kids resemble one another. You're going to see that over and over again. And it's really no different in God's family. If you read the text, you understand that who God is is going to show up in the life of his kids. But what we want to do tonight is we want to spend time asking two very important questions, and they're really the, the most important questions that anybody can ask. How do I get into God's family is number one. And number two, how do I live my life once I've entered into the family? And we've always got to answer them in that order. We can't ever flip it and ask what is the conduct once I'm in the family because we've got to figure out first how does, what does it take to get into God's family? How do I get in? Well, our passage answers both of those questions for us in a really, really helpful manner. So if you go with me to 1 John chapter 2, remember verse 29 right at the end, and it's going to lead us into our text into chapter 3. 1 John 2, verse 29. And just listen to this. It's just a brilliant argument by, by the Apostle John here. 1 John 2, 29. It says this, If you know that he is righteous, and I think he is, is God here. If you know that God is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that Jesus appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For this reason, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not righteous, is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This tells us that if you are a part of God's family, you will begin to resemble your heavenly father. But we got to ask the question first, what does it take to get into God's family? And the worldly answer to that is you can enter into God's family by doing a number of good things. By being a good person, by doing a number of good things, that is how God will accept you into his family. That is what the world will tell you a relationship with God is. Your goodness will earn your status into God's family. But Thankfully, according to this passage, that is not what it's based on at all. In fact, the only way that you can ever get into God's family, according to 1 John 3, 1, is as if God has loved you. Not if you have loved God, but if God has loved you. And it is the love of God that is the only way that you will ever be brought into the family of God. Notice that in First. Uh, one of chapter three. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are now his children because of love that God has set on us. It's got to be God's love. It can never be us earning our way by doing a number of good works in order to get into God's family. It must be that he places his love on us. This love is magnificent. What I love about this verse The beginning of that, it says, see what kind. Uh, That was a phrase that you would have heard if you worked kind of on a ship or in in one of the ports during the time of the Bible. You would have heard that phrase a lot. Because what they would do is they would bring in exports from other uh, other countries or they would bring in other people from different, different lands. And when people would see the ship from the shore, they would say this phrase, what kind of, and fill in the blank, is coming to us is something foreign, something we're not used to, something new and something exciting. This is something new to us and we want to know what kind it is. And John is saying, this type of love that God has given to us is so foreign and so exciting and so thrilling because it's something we're not used to. I think every single person in this room can attest to the fact that the love you knew before God was always a conditional love. It would be a love that if you worked hard enough, somebody would give it back to you. And it would be a love that if you, if you would get something, it would feel really, really good. But that conditional love is not the type of love that God is giving to us. In fact, he's giving us unconditional love. It's more really love in spite of us rather than something that we've 
earned. Write down this reference, Romans 5, 6 through 8. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And John and Paul are both struck with the love that God gives them. Romans 5, 6 through 8. It says this, For why we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So he is dying for people who are not like him. We are ungodly. God is very godly. It's the nature of being God himself. He is loving, merciful, holy, perfect. He is all that and we are ungodly. We're the opposite of that. So God is giving love to someone who is not like him, someone who is different than him. In fact, he's going to tell us in a moment we're enemies of him. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now we understand what love is. We didn't draw God's gaze because we were so good and attractive in the good works that we were doing. We were sinners. And this is love that can really inspire confidence. It's not like, I guess you could say, it's not like the movie Annie, which I had to see recently. <laughs> My wife and I, we went, to, uh, we went on a double date, and we went, we went shooting first, and then to see Annie afterwards. And I thought, why are we doing that? But then I realized... My wife knew there was no way I was going to that movie unless she put a gun into my chest. So I went willingly to go see Annie. But Annie is a cute orphan who does something good for Daddy Warbucks to be able to start the relationship. And then because she's really cute and really good, he falls more and more in love with her. And everyone thinks that's a great story. It's really conditional-based love if you think about it. What is Annie doing for this person and how does he feel about her? But the love that God gives us is why we're enemies while we're doing things against him, while we're being antagonistic, he extends his love towards us. So let's get to that number one this way. It's the title of the message, but it's really the point that we should take. We should rejoice in God's love. We need to rejoice in God's love. And as you do that, you will be setting yourself up for such great success in the Christian life because you will understand how relationships should work. It cannot be conditionally based. Conditional love suffocates relationships. Unconditional love strengthens them. Conditional love steals security, but unconditional love emboldens it. If you know that no matter what you do, the other person has chosen to love you, well, then there's no fear, as 1 John 4 will later on say. There's no fear in perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear because it's not based on my performance. It's been given to me. And when I start to rejoice in that, now in my home and in my relationships with my spouse, my relationships to my kids, I'm going to foster this environment of saying, wow, this is really what should go on. That's the reason why you're part of God's family. It's never because you've done enough good works. In fact, you guys understand that good people end up going to hell, okay? Good people go to hell while forgiven people go to heaven because forgiven people understand that it's not their works that got them forgiven but God's love that extended it to them. People have a hard time understanding that. Let me see if I can help you with that illustration. Uh, my kids, Miles and Trenton, and I'm assuming Wesley, when he comes in a few short weeks, uh, will, he lo- he'll love to go to Target. 
My kids love Target. They love everything about Target. They think Target fixes everything. If I say, Miles, where's this? He thinks it's at Target, so we'll just go to Target. Anybody else love Target? Who loves Target? Come on. Even everybody loves Target. Great place. They will go, and this is just funny about my kids, toys we've already bought them, they want to go to Target to play with it at Target rather than the toy we bought them at home. And I don't understand that, but I guess it saves us money now. We just go to Target and they can play, and then we leave. That's wisdom, folks. That's wisdom. They love Target, though, okay? So let's say this happens, okay? Uh, my kids, they are accountable to me, right? I'm the creator, the ultimate authority. They owe their obedience and allegiance and everything to me. They are dependent upon me. I am the ultimate authority in their life. So I take them to Target, and let's just say, uncharacteristically, they're really rowdy, okay? Uh, if you have boys or have seen my boys, you know that that is true all the time. So they're there. This person's laughing because one of my kids fell at their house down a bunch of stairs because they were being really rowdy. So that's why that happened. Let's just say they're being rowdy at Target, okay? They're being rowdy and they start ripping up presents and they start ripping up boxes and they're playing with toys and they're yelling at people running by and they're just causing a commotion, okay? And I come up to them, the one who has ultimate authority in their life, and I say, you guys need to stop this, you need to clean up your mess, and you need to obey what I'm saying. If they say, no, Dad, we're not going to do that, we're going to continue to do this, and they disrespect and disobey the one that they have ultimate allegiance to, the one who has ultimate authority in their life, that's a bad thing. But let's just say the manager from Target comes in, okay? That manager has limited jurisdiction over my sons, but while they're there in Target, he can come in an authoritative role to them, say, hey, you kids, stop, clean that up, and apologize to the people that you're messing with. If my sons, who have just not responded to me and have been disobedient to me, the one who's the ultimate creator, all of a sudden respond to the manager at Target, you know what? They've actually just done a good thing. They've done something good. They've submitted to authority. But that doesn't make them okay with me. The, the relationship with the one whom they are ultimately accountable to is still been breached because they were disrespectful and disobeyed me. So now you understand why good people who do everything that their boss says and obeys everything that every societal system is over them, the police, why they do all these good things can still end up going to hell if they're not okay with the one who has ultimate authority over them. It's about that ultimate relationship first. And unless that's taken care of with divine love being put on a person, there is no good that you can do that will take care of that. We need to realize that to get into God's family, it will be because he's loved us and has forgiven us based on the work that Jesus Christ has done. You've got to remember that. But here is what we see in this text and what I see throughout a lot of churches is that people say, wow, that's great. Matter of fact, that's awesome. You know what? God doesn't choose me based on my performance. God hasn't accepted me based on the good works that I do. He's just chosen to set his love on me. So now that I'm in his family because he's loved me, it doesn't really matter what I do, right? I mean, ultimately, let's just relax a little bit because we're good with the one who's created us. The problem with that is, First John doesn't agree with it, nor does the rest of the Bible because once you are put into God's family, and once you've been born again, as the text will tell us, there is a change in your character. You are a new creation who now should be living the same way your Father has called you to live. 
Let's get it down number two on your outline this way. If we're going to rejoice in God's love, which we should do, because we haven't earned it, it doesn't suffocate, it strengthens our relationship with him. If we're going to rejoice in that, number two, we need to resemble God's character if we've been saved by him. The text could not be clearer in 1 John 2, verse 29. Look how he says this. If you know that he, God, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That, that phrase, has been born of him, appears again in uh, chapter 3, verse 9. It's a perfect passive, meaning a work done in the past, not done by the person, but done to the person. So it was God who came in and did the work in salvation, who set the love, who regenerated, who caused the person to be born again. Titus 3, not by works that we did, but because God is a merciful, loving God. God caused him to be born again. But the text says you might be sure if that happened, that that person is now going to live a righteous life just as God is righteous. I mean, we see it over and over again when there is a, a, a ethical command that God gives. It's based on a characteristic that he has. And if God is righteous and you're his child, you better be striving for righteousness as well. As a matter of fact, when you do things against God, how does 1 John 3, 4 say, what does it say you're doing? Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. I hope you catch that component of what sin is. It is lawlessness. And at its essence, sin is lawlessness. God, who has ultimate control, ultimate authority, has set out commands, has given us things to do, has called us with imperatives to follow after him. And if I choose not to do those, I am now acting lawlessly, meaning I'm not doing what I've been commanded to do, what I've been told to do. At its essence, that's what sin is. And if you're going to say, I am a child of God, he has changed my life, and yet live as if he has no control over you, you have denied the truth that you really say you claim. Let me see if I can help you out with it this way. Uh, For those of you who know the answer to this question, keep it quiet and a mystery for the rest of them. What is the greatest restaurant in the world? Raise your hand, somebody tell me, what is the greatest restaurant in the world? Mac, what do you think? Olive Garden. No, it is not Olive Garden. You. Riptide? Well, that's a close one. That's a very close one. Heather Gilmore would agree with you. That's close. It's a second. Anybody? Science has proven this, okay? Science is on my side. Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. Science proves it. Science proves that when you take chicken and waffles and put them together, you get happiness, okay? That's what happens when you mix chicken and waffles together, and it is so good. Just went there recently. I get the same thing every time, and no, it's not the Obama special, which they do have. It's the Natalie special. You get two waffles, and then you add a thigh on the side, or if I'm there with my wife, we get a number one in the Natalie special because it saves us money. But it's the same thing, okay? Just to have a knowledge of that. Okay, picture this, okay? Picture Roscoe's chicken and waffles, and it's going to show us how we need to be responding to God. I got Roscoe's chicken and waffles, and let's say my wife and I are going there. She's super pregnant. I'm super hungry. We just rack up a huge bill. Let's say $800, okay? We've just been eating and eating and eating. That's reality, folks. You're 36 weeks. uh, Carbohydrates taste good to you, right? Can I get an amen from the ladies? Sweetie, do you like to eat? Where is she? 
right? There she is, yeah. So we're eating and we're eating. $800 bill comes. The waitress hands us $800 bill. I say, oh, uh, $800. I don't have the ability to take care of this debt. I don't have any money. But I did notice, I'm going to tell the waitress, I did notice that when I came in, that there is a list of rules on your door that says no shirt, no shoes, no service. So what I would like you to do, waitress, with this list of rules is the fact that I kept these rules, I want you to eliminate the debt that I have with you. I, I kept these rules. I did really good. I obeyed everything you said. I want that to eliminate the debt that we have with one another. Well, she's going to look at me like I'm crazy and go get the manager. The manager's going to come to me and I'm going to tell him the same story. Hey, I kept your rules, man. Kept my shirt on the whole time. Kept my shoes on. Uh, I did good. Uh, now eliminate the debt between us. He's going to say, that's, that's not why I put the commands on the wall, right? I didn't put the commands on the wall so that you could do them and eliminate the debt. I put the commands to show you how to conduct yourself inside my restaurant. But he says this, hey, you know what? I love you and I love your wife. So I'm going to call my son out here and he's going to tell you about a special offer. And the son comes out and says, hey, I'm going to offer the two of you to pay for this debt and every single debt that you will ever accrue in this restaurant. All you must do, just put your faith in me. See, that in essence is what salvation is. We try to keep God's commands in order to eliminate a debt that is between us. That's never why God gave us the commands. Not to earn anything with them, but to evidence that we've been born of him. So in this text, it's absolutely right for God to say, if you've been born, if you've been forgiven, if you are a Christian, I need you to follow the things on the wall. Because if I and my wife, now that we've been forgiven, take a look at the wall and say, I don't want to do the things you told me to do. I don't really have a relationship to the owner or his son. See, God gives us these commands based on who he is so we can begin to develop into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what verse 2 says? Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we shall be has not yet come, Jesus coming back. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. So when I follow the commands, the list of rules on the wall that the owner and his son have set for me because I've been forgiven by him, it's not any sort of earning my salvation. It's me just following after the one who has saved me and called me to be a part of his family. There's no legalism in that. And in fact, if I start to deny the things that are on the wall, what this text tells me is that I don't know God. I'm practicing lawlessness. Do you remember what Jesus said? Many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons. Do many mighty things in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You don't do what I say. You don't follow the commands. We're husbands and wives in here. This is marriage ministry. Wives, I know it's tough out there. I, I get it. It's extremely difficult for us to say the Bible commands you to submit to your husband, even when he's not doing well, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. The Bible commands you that. I get that that is extremely tough and extremely difficult. But that is a command on the wall of the restaurant that God owns. And he's paid everything for you to stay in there. And he's showered you with love. So can you just look at the command and say, hey, I know this guy doesn't deserve it, but God's called me to do it. And if I do what I should do, which is righteousness, 
I'm going to be showing that I'm really a part of God's kingdom because God is righteous. Husbands, it's the same for you. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A command to you, even when she doesn't deserve it, because that's the essence of what love is. And when you don't want to do that, can you take a look at the command on the wall and say, I don't feel like doing this. This is not going to be easy, but because the one who's forgiven me loves me and he cares about that command, I, I care about that command too. I'm going, to, I'm going to follow the command. You will be righteous then as the text is telling you to do. Now what often happens when we talk this way, people start to get a little bit antsy in their salvation. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to keep on sinning? What does it mean to practice sinning? How do I know if I've done too many sins that show that I'm practicing it? Well, again, I'm going to tell you, if you're asking the quantitative question, how many sins, how long is it, you are asking the wrong question. It is not about quantity, okay? Quantity will reveal something. It's really about the quality of your relationship with God. Here's how verse 9 says it in chapter 3. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So when I'm faced with, uh, let's just say there's a habitual sin in your life. You're faced with a habitual sin, something that continues to happen. Stop saying, oh, have I done it 15 times and that means now I'm not in God's family and start saying, why am I calling myself a part of God's family if I keep doing this. The one who saved me came to destroy these works and I'm going to devote myself to them? It's not about quantity then, it's about quality of your relationship to God. You should resemble his character. Write this verse down, Matthew chapter five. We just read it recently in the DBR, 5, 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven because he sends the rain on the evil and the good. He sends the sun on the just and the unjust. That's what God is calling you to do. He's calling you to resemble his character and when you do that, you make evidence that you've been born of God. God's done the work inside of you. Turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Notice this huge call of God. It resembles our text. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul, writing with some very similar themes. Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God. And notice this. It's not robotic. It's not just mere obedience. Be imitators of God. How? As Beloved children, you are being asked to imitate God, not in ex nihilo creation, in creating those types of things. That's stuff only God can do, not in eternally forgiving sins. That's not what you're called to do. You're called to do it temporarily, but not eternally. That's God's business, okay? But showing kindness, being merciful, being righteous, being loving, these are things you can imitate in God if you're his child, Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Notice there's no quantity language there. It's quality. 
What type of relationship do you have? Are you a saint? Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who practices sexual immorality or impurity or who is covetousness, or who is covetous, who is, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It's about their relationship to their father. How did our text say back in 1 John 3? We know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are by the way they act. That's verse 10. It's evident. We're not asking you to earn your way into God's kingdom at all. But I am telling you, if you call yourself God's child, there is commands that you must, are obligated to follow. And if you don't, you can't call yourself his child. Here is the essence of what it means to be in God's family. He has loved you with a love that you did not earn. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. But if we have that love and we've experienced it, we are going to be resembling our father whom we love. Guys, as we start out this semester, nothing could be more important than being sure of where you're going to spend eternity. This text tells you how you can know. Are you following after the Father who has loved you and saved you, or are you following after your own will? I would love nothing more than if you didn't know to come up and talk to me afterwards, talk to your small group afterwards. But let's be real and honest with each other because we're talking about eternity. But you can know the love of God in Jesus Christ without any trepidation or fear. Have that unconditional love change you and watch God conform you into the image of his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this look at the scriptures. And I pray that we would all be in here pursuing you the way that the text tells us to. God, you are our father and we thank you for that. We ask that you would give us a greater love and desire to live the commands that you've given to us so that we might follow hard after you. God, there are so many distractions, so many temptations, so many different things that come in our way. But Father, we know that your love is powerful and conquering. Uh, faith, hope, and love, uh, the greatest of these is love. It will not fail, though. It believes all things, God. Help us to have that everlasting love in our lives that changes it. And may we all encourage one another to love and good deeds, as Hebrews tells us. We pray all these things in your son's wonderful name. Amen. <laughs>